not sugar. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your great mercy to us and your son. Nothing that we deserve, but only your great love. Walk with us through this passage this morning, or these passages, and we'd ask that you would help us focus on that which our lives are all about. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's one of those sermons that we don't, I don't generally do this, going, jumping around through different passages. I like staying with what the uh, writer of the passage was trying to get across. Um, uh, but sometimes things like holidays thrust themselves forward and say, you know, why don't you say something combining passages? And I've been thinking about the idea of the resurrection, what it means to us. And right at the very top, you see a very familiar, it's not John 3, 16, it's John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some translations say born again. Some say born from above. That's probably the more accurate, you know, uh, born of heaven. Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We like that image. We like, we like to remember when Jimmy Carter was, some of you don't remember Jimmy Carter was the president. Not worth looking up. But uh, um, he, the whole news media was in an uproar because he was talking about being born again. And they didn't know. You see these panel discussions on NBC News about what is this born again he keeps talking about. We like that image. Nicodemus, is, he's talking to Nicodemus here in John 3. And um, Nicodemus has this reaction of, well, can a man go back into his mom's stomach, his, the womb, and be born again? How is, it, how is rebirth possible? Well, the Lord straightens him out on that. You know, it's basically flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. And when we get down to what the spirit rebirth is, too many Christians like that idea of, of a rebirth that's uh, like the Renaissance, right? Rebirth. You like the Renaissance, right? Because it was really cool art up to that point, and then it was just even cooler. And you had the big names. And that's what you kind of think of yourself as going through. You know, sure, I'm a regular Joe with regular qualities. I'm going to go limitations. And then I'm born again, a step forward, a step into greater things. That's not how it is in the scripture. The born again happens because we have to die. The old life that we did live, the reason you're born again is it is a life of death. And then you die in it. And then you're born again. The renewal is more what we're talking about this morning, is focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our image. Not some fanciful, you know, fairy tale about you going through a big life change. That's a big life change, dying is. says in Romans 6, we just covered this a few weeks ago. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the new life, the rebirth, comes through our standing with Christ in his death. Now, tragically, and I, and I want to apologize to any non-believers that are here this morning. I heard someone joking a few years ago, when zombies were, remember when zombies were something? At least in the regular day-to-day life. You'd run into them on the street playing that zombie war. What was it called? Anybody have a name of that thing? Oh, zombie die? Zombie die? Zombie tag. I never play it. Um, so I don't know if you're saying to yourselves as he's mentioning zombies, oh, he's so out of date. It's like that, that mom that posts that video from 12 years ago on her Facebook feed. You know how that, and their, her children are, oh, no. Social pariah. So I don't mean it that, that way. Just, well, the illustration was there a couple of years back, a few years back, when somebody talked about Christianity as just a zombie religion because we followed a guy who came back from the dead. And he was wandering around. And tragically, that's what church ends up being a lot of times. Because what we try to convince people is there is if you go down to John's Alley, because that's where the sinners are, or a fraternity house, because there are even bigger centers. Or where else? I don't know. Kiwanis. Old centers. You preach the gospel. They give up their lost ways. Give up everything that makes them interesting. And go to church. And learn to, I guess, be lifeless. But they're still wandering around. And, it, and we don't go, this is not what we're looking for with being born again. This is not what we're looking for with being resurrected. This is more like, what's wrong with zombies? Who you think that, my gosh, mom and dad coming back from the dead, that's up all around. We like that, and we, we, we miss them. Oh my gosh, they're trying to eat my brains. We don't like zombies because... They're really just half agents, or maybe quarter agents of what man. They could walk around. What do you have to do to kill a zombie? Does have the head come off or something like that? Throw records at him with that? And, um, all these cultural references that half of you understand. Without their heads. But is that what the church has become? The church has become a choice against sin. A choice of the church, and it's supposed to be against sin. If we said, how many of you are for sin? I don't think I would see any hands. We Christians are against being evil. But sometimes the world thinks of us, or we think of ourselves, as a, 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 a group of denial. Remove the life from this person, and leave them in that sort of pedestrian, suburban death that we don't admire. But Christianity isn't just being freed from sin. 
It's a big, it's a big get. Once you understand sin and the damage it is doing to you, even, because, even if you were a non-Christian Buddhist who decided you weren't going to act that way anymore, your life would improve. You would be a better citizen and more at peace for it. So we know this is good. But it isn't what Christianity is. We know that our old self, verse 6, chapter 6 of Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall also live with Christ. So when we look fondly at us dying to sin in Christ, and if we stop there, we think that the big task, if only as a Christian I go to enough church meetings and enough, get enough counseling to stop doing the bad. That's only half the story. It's only half of Christ. We believe we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It's after that but that the church is missing. We're all agreed we should stop doing those bad things. Christ in his victory over death, in his glorification, in his resurrection, has provided a life for us. And that he lives, he lives it to God. And we share that with him. Verse 11, so you must... Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must. That's called an imperative. Do it. Don't think any other thing. You're not allowed to. Well, I don't think you could say that to me, Evan. Well, I can't. I look at you, I look at the apostle, I look at you again, I look at the apostle. And I think he's smarter about this. He's seen the risen Lord. He has the Lord's authority and he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin. Got it? We're that zombie Christianity. But now raised. Because we want the kind of resurrection that we don't expect in those horror movies, right? When it's always that mourning father who goes out and chants some Indian thing over the grave of his dead child and she comes back half rotted. But what if she came back glorified? The wonderful, perfect, better than before daughter. When you say in other churches I was talking to Diana this morning and uh, other churches you'll say uh, Christ is risen, the other person would say see so a bunch of liturgical pieces of work <clears throat> well it's just fine because he has been raised indeed but this morning's topic is not that the Lord has been, let's call that a granted um, we have risen and can you say of yourself, I have risen indeed. And I was in the bathroom this morning, where all my great thoughts are done, and I was thinking about, I had typed this, I already printed out the sermon notes, and I could, oh, 
wouldn't it have been crafty to put a space before, in between in and deed? With a question mark. Indeed. Has our life actually measured out the resurrection we have stood in in Christ? We fully expect it to have that measured benefit to us in the forgiveness of our sins. We stood in his death to have ourselves die to our sins, that his death atoned for our sins, all sorts of wonderful points of contact and access, and we embrace that great forgiveness, run to it, leap on it like a, like a ball pit at McDonald's, want to be involved with that. Anybody mentions the holiness that is ours in Christ Jesus, the glorification of the life we have in him, and everybody starts going, I don't know, let's do it. But what about he is risen indeed? You have risen indeed. You must consider yourselves, skip over the forgiveness of sins, dead to sin, alive to God. When you wake up in the morning, not just thinking one thing, Lord, keep me from sin, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Lord, make me live the glorified life in Christ Jesus. Titus 3.3, 3. this is the portion that Kenny read, or a smaller portion of it. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. Sounds like the world. You betcha. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. Part bolded, the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. That's the new birth. It's a calling out of us from that life of the big 50-pound sacks of stupid hauled around by your half-ton truck. That's your, that's your life. You can watch the news. Well, I'm not like that. I did a discussion last night. I came home from rock and roll practice with my wife. Found my library filled with people that I didn't know. So I had to sit down and correct them of all things that they may have misunderstood. We ended up talking about theodicy. We've covered this a little bit in church the past weeks. The uh, justice of God. And when people object to the dead child, the innocent, caught up in the calamity of this world, why doesn't God stop it? Well, it's because you are evil. Well, but no, I was, I was busy blaming God. No, 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 no. It's us. I might not be as bad as this person passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. I might not have wasn't that bad. Yeah, but the little, the little grant you give yourself, I'm not that bad. I only want to be this bad. Well, you grant yourself that bad. Who are you to say he can't have that bad? 
Because you just made it logically necessary or justice that if you can have as much as you want, he can have as much as he wants. And he wants to hurt people. We just wrote a blank check. He said, I get to write myself a check for as much as I want. I'm only going to write it for $1.95. The guy next to you said, well, I'm writing it for $10 million. If you get to write the checks to yourself, if you get to benefit yourself, guide your own self in your wickedness, you just made an argument for everybody in the world being as wicked as they want because you were as wicked as you wanted, even if you weren't that wicked. Even if you weren't that's just as bad, you're not going to prison for this. You just made a justification for all the wickedness in the world of men. That's what we were. Even if I didn't do it, I'm in the stands rooting for them. That's what we were saved from. Cheering on the wicked world. Advocating the worst because I have no place to stand against it without God. So God has come into our life when we finally realize this. Regeneration and renewal, a washing, that we might be justified and heirs in hope. Now, so much of our proceeding in Christ is this like a proto-regeneration, a proto-resurrection we get to experience just like the punishment of the wicked in the afterlife, they get to enjoy kind of a punished life here because life doesn't really work out for you wicked bad things happen it's not each and every but also good things happen to the believers before the resurrection into life, before the resurrection into the eternal life, we, our regeneration and renewal, poured out upon us richly. How is that measured? There's no renewal. There's no renewal, the regeneration, being born again to just dullness, is not what we want. Now, the passage that I was thinking of this morning is this next one. Colossians 3.1 because <clears throat> this is sort of the imperative that you were also pushed on to these things in our salvation if then you have been raised with Christ remember he is raised, he is risen indeed you were raised, we're looking to make that indeed if then you have been raised with Christ Seek the things that are above. I know and I've known many Christians who look for that point of that epiphany of glory, wondering where the Holy Spirit is. Why doesn't God pour out his faith, his peace, his whatever? They have no idea what the Lord has said to them already. They have not sought him at all. They're standing around like the, like the petulant, uh, oh, they didn't have a show. I know I'm da- everything is always about 10 years late here. Um, there was a show about debutantes, sweet 16 parties. And you, it made you want to go out, get a loaded handgun, maybe a tri-state, lo- shop local, and um, go find anybody 16 years, like Herod 
and kill every 16-year-old girl. Because you, you, you started to have a very jaded view of what young women were capable of. They make a great movie. I don't, you say, I'm new here, Evan, you just advocated killing 16-year-olds with a handgun, which is, all of us know, the social justice warriors know that a handgun is not good. I don't really mean that, it was a joke. There was a slight laughter that actually went through the crowd. We're waiting for everyone to give us stuff. Mom and dad owe me the perfect party. Mom and dad owe me the perfect wedding. Mom and dad owe me the perfect graduation. I need a car. Mom and dad owe me. And we stand around waiting for it to happen to us. It's called entitlement. If you've been raised with Christ, oh, that's pretty important. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. If you've been raised with him, seek the things where he is. At the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You've been told to seek, you've been told to set, for you have died. Remember that? This is the kind of rebirth, birth from above, that requires dead people getting reborn. The renewal is one passing through death in Christ, that you could be reborn in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You have died. That's why back in Romans, you must consider yourselves dead. Because you have died. Now we're not going to parse out what the different forms of life that are... Well, I thought I was still alive throughout, physically alive. I, I did not begin to rot. No. The kind of lives that you have, the kind of places and the complexities of a human machine, we... Spiritual death, emotional death, physical death. Spend some time thinking about it, but whatever the case, you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So we would be thinking about this stuff naturally, would we not? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You've got some tasks to do to live out this raised life. Where's your mind at? Are you about getting up in the morning and putting to death what is earthly in you? It says back in the Titus, we who are once slaves to various passions and pleasures. Slaves. St. Paul says we are slaves of righteousness. We are been made new by his grace. And we're not here to tell you how what that process is like. We're just finding whether or not you're finding out this morning whether or not you're on board with this process. Whatever it takes, whatever mindset it takes to put to death these things in you, whatever mindset it takes to get your mind from where it is to considering yourselves dead to sin. You have to admit that that's what it says. You've heard me say recent couple years I've been talking about this, about the idea of, of um, I'm not asking to convince you. I'm asking for you to understand. Is this what it says? Do you understand what he says? Oh, then you, you convince yourself. You decide whether or not you even like St. Paul. You can decide whether you believe that the Bible is the word of God. Well, yeah, knock yourself out. But do you understand this is what he says? 
that the things that are death in you, the things that are of the world in you, you're supposed to put to death. There's a nice little list there. I have them conveniently pulled out to the side. So you don't even have to try to untangle them from the sentence. Uh, what do we got there? Fornication. That's knocking boots with somebody you shouldn't be. Impurity, in case something you're up to isn't covered by fornication. Passion, just in case impurity and fornication don't cover what you're actually up to. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger. Now we're getting into good Christian sins. Because everyone knows, they're a Christian, yeah, I should be, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be sleeping around. Yeah, got that, thank you. No walking home on my face in a drunken stupor. Yeah, I know. But go to any church, you're going to find angry people. You're going to find wrathful people, malicious people, slanderous people. Put to death that stuff. That's earthly in you. Dig it out. Christ has been raised. And you have been raised with him. And you're supposed to consider yourself in that state. Dead to your sins in Christ. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I need to get up and be about this. And not just be about, remember, it's not just be about all these fun things that made you so interesting. They don't have, you know, I, I, you know anybody in Hollywood? We could make a reality show out of my house. Now why are they not going to make a reality show out of my house? It's a cool house. People live together. No scandal. That's the problem. Nobody is yelling at somebody behind their back. Nobody's cheating on somebody else. We like, we think those people are interesting. The fornicators, the impure, the passionate. Out there in the world, some Philistine woman wrote a book, from what I gather, extremely poorly for other women to get some kind of gratification by being smacked around by a man. Woohoo! And it's sold by the gazillions. Because that's what makes them interesting. That's all they've got. We're giving that up. We're, we're putting that to death. We're, we're becoming... Maybe the zombies do not lie to one another, do not have foul talk coming from your mouth, seeing that you put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature. We are not just about getting Christians to stop doing these interesting things. I've been reading Russians lately, as you know, and boy, they're all interesting because they're all messed up. I don't want to know any of them. But boy, are they interesting. Every circumstance, socially, there's no tranquility. There's no gift of grace to each other, no encouragement, no blessing, not even much friendship. Just interesting people because their sins are so wretched. And so we as Christians set ourselves against that. We're pulled away from that. We die to that. We put it off, seeing that we've put off the old nature. You have to put on, off those actions. But this morning, since he is risen indeed, 
and we are looking to be risen indeed, and have put on, verse 10, the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You're putting on something. What have you become in Christ? Just a person without sin? Or a person with holiness? Here there cannot be Jew or Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Put on them. Oh, man. The passage has got two parts. Put off, put on. The Christian life isn't dying to sin. It's dying to sin and living to God. It's reborn, it's renewal, it's regeneration, it's resurrection. Something is built. In fact, in you, metaphysically before God, seated with Christ in glory, and in practice, in the will, you get up in the morning and live by. You have a will, right? Hereabouts, we consider it free. But even if you don't consider it free, it pretends to be. It pretends to be yours. So what do you do with it when you get up in the morning? You put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Think of yourselves that way. You're not dead, you're chosen. You're holy. God loves you. He died for you. And because of that, not merely because you're dead and we have stripped all the interest from your life, God is there for these people that are dear to him to do this for them. Compassion. Kindness. Lowliness. Meekness and patience. Forbearing one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. My heavens, won't it be nice to know those sorts of people? I trust that's what you're working on in your lives. Trust that's what you're standing before God to accomplish, not just pass you out of the world of sin, but have your mind set against it and have your mind set on the things above where Christ is so that the newness of your life would be if you need a, you feel free to get a piece, pair of scissors and cut that little thing out on the side there, right hand side, left hand side, which just gives you the list, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearing, forgiving, to remind you what kind of excellence we have been called to. And the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. My heavens, that's exactly... We were praying for this young man in Boise who has turned to alcohol. What does alcohol do for you? I, you know. You guys, some of you guys know. Why do people take meth? There are commercials that show you what meth does. No, that's not true. Why do they take it? Why do people try to make a lot of money? Why do people try to have a great retirement plan? Why do people marry some blonde bombshell? Why? They want peace in life. 
They'd like their life to be enjoyed. So when we come through their lives with the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, and we are compassionate and patient and forgiving and loving and thankful, it's like saints. We've got life figured out. That's true, you have life figured out. Everything the world does in their malice and their hatred and being hated, everything they do, they're trying to find the place where they can stand, where they can force the rest of the world to agree with them and give them their party that they want on their terms, the way they want it, and no one will disapprove of what they want and what they think because they're God. It's not going to work for them. We get to not be God. That's what's wonderful about the Christian life, the renewal. We stand in Christ as God in his resurrection. We are raised with him. We are made into the kind of people that all these little demigods are out there demanding for themselves. And we can be kicked down a flight of steps by evil men and bless them. We can be put to death by evil men and bless them. We can forgive people for what they do to us. We can forbear. We can be patient with. Can't afford that. When you're about malice, when you're about getting your own way, when everything matters that you have it the way you want it, my goodness, the the night of the long knives comes out. People start dying. There's blood in the streets. Because they want stuff. We get to be denied stuff. A wonderful list. Above all, put on love. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I like sometimes these very simple, non-explicit definitions of what the church, we as body of believers, do with each other. There's, There's not the level of, the Bible never wrote out a book of church order that told you how to run the constitution of the church. We don't have any church government, haven't had one for 25 years, and we're doing just fine, folks. We're winging it. But it does tell us to be after the word of Christ, richly. Why do we teach out of the scriptures? Because it tells us to have it dwell in ourselves richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We're supposed to be smart about what we're dealing with. We're supposed to understand the righteous life and the sinful life. We're supposed to understand the forces in society. Because we're wise. We ought to be wise. Because he's telling us, let these things be so in you. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Which we do. You did a great job this morning with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. I was talking to my dad. We were getting him up the other day, and we were talking about thankfulness. And he was just out of the back of the top of his mind. He could just start slinging out these passages of where the Christians started to thank God for what had just happened. Thanking God in the book of Acts. Thank God. Not just for your evening meal. Thank God for the bed you lie in. Thank God 
for the salvation you have. Once you start to see what it's doing, not just setting you free from sin and stupidity, but making you alive to God with these kind of qualities, no wonder we sing. What else would we do? We just want to sing because this is the kind of life we've been given. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. His name. Well, we, we focus on Jesus Christ. We were Christians. His name's right there in the title. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ in the most intimate way. We followed him into his death. We follow him into his life. Everything we do ought to be in his name. Now, I was talking to a young man the other day. He'd come over in the evening. Not of this church. Of various other churches show up at the house at times. And we were talking about death. We were talking about my mother's death and how she had died as a Christian should die. We, were, we sang around her bed, a hymn or two. I forget which one. But A lot of people have a hard time with death. If you stop to think of what you have encountered in Jesus Christ, the resurrected life this side of the grave is this echo or pre-echo, a shadow cast by the eternal life that awaits for you across the other side. You start to look forward. It decorates the hope you have. You begin to realize who this God is who has promised you because the promises are coming home to you. He is working out his grace in you to do holy things in a way that is amply rewarded with love and peace and joy. To live resurrected decorates your hope of eternal life. It's part of what will set you free from the fear of death. We give thanks to him. And the reason we are thankful, the rest of John 3, I I just put John 3, 14, 70 down here at the bottom. It's the famous portion. But what does it say? And I mentioned this passage a few weeks ago when I spoke on Hezekiah's Nehushtan. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. When you talk about the path to regeneration, the path that he mentioned to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is in the Son that all of this happens. It is in his death that all of this happens. It is in his resurrection that this happens. But it's in your belief as to whether it happens. Whoever believes... Says that twice, verse 17, or 14 and 16. 
We might be saved. We might be able to step onto this path of freedom from sin and resurrected living if we believe. First thing has to be whether or not you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And whether or not in that call it wasn't just mom sitting you down where you prayed a prayer you heard in Sunday school, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Do you believe? Really? I'm not going to convince you. Remember, I'm not a zombie. I don't eat brains. You know, I can't be about convincing you. <coughs> I can just tell you what Christianity is. You can hold your own life up to it and go, if I'm a non-Christian, how does it hold up to this? Does this seem to make sense? If I'm a Christian, what Evan said did it hold my life up to that? Is that what it says? Now I have to ask myself, do I believe what he said? You might want to consider whether or not your lack of belief has any argument for it. <coughs> All of us who have been changed by the work of God's grace in the gospel and then are following this and being changed by the work of God's grace in us day to day as we put on and put off these things. Those of us who have thought, sought the things where God is, the things above, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. We wish we could, wish we could jot down even a good enough poem to describe it. You can't. You tell people about it. You have them understand what you're saying. But it's going to be our understood experience, or it's going to be our lives lived in front of them. Do they see you at peace? Do they see you at peace? Do they see you responding to them with love, forgiveness, forbearance? <coughs> because all of this, we summed this up, I don't know, a few months ago, I forget which passage it was on. If we needed a slogan, it's death and glory. That's what we have our Christ, ourselves, death and glory. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, you have given us much in the death and resurrection of your Son. <coughs> we all understand we're being called away from sinfulness. We all need forgiveness, and yes, that's there in your Son's death. Lord, Call on the saints to live the life that's in that resurrection. That the holiness, the peace, the love. Keep us from being zombies, losing the interest that sin brings us, and gaining nothing. Bring us the interest of your peace. Help us understand it. Help the non-believers see it. And have them ask us questions about it, Lord, so that we can declare to them the message of your Son's salvation. For this day, we're thankful. Be with us this afternoon, Lord, and whatever we're doing with the families or friends, and just celebrating the things that in this culture we set aside to think of your Son's resurrection. But Lord, we, who are real believers, we'd ask that every day this next year, 
we would live in a way that honors that resurrection, that we would be indeed glorified. In your son's name we pray. Amen.